0: I want to mention a few things before uh, the message. Uh, you know, one of those, the last song we sang was one of my favorite songs. I know I've been telling you lots. lot. I have lots of favorite songs. <laughs> but that's, those, those are, that, is one, that song was one of those songs that has really been with me since, I don't know, maybe since high school or grade school. It's, it's, a, it's a very powerful song. It's based on one passage in scripture. And, and I really love the lyrics of that song. You know, especially the the verse when the struggle you're facing is slowly replacing with your hope, with despair. And sometimes the process is so long, you don't see any end. You know, and you're losing the song in the night. What it means is you're losing hope, you're losing your joy, you're losing your 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 faith in your faith in Christ is is dwindling, it's diminishing because of the struggle and 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 the promise there is you can be sure that the lord has his hand on you he will never abandon you you are his treasure and he finds his pleasure in you isn't that amazing it's it's an amazing passage a lyric right then the the chorus itself he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it right and that's really directly from scripture and you know we've been asking as a church uh, we've been asking God Lord help us as a ministry help us to do everything right in your sight and one of the things that God has been trying to to tell us for many years is to change the way we do our praise and worship because we haven't been doing it the way really God wants us to do and and it begins with the choice of songs we sing and so far, the songs we just chose today are the good songs, are the good ones, coming from the good composers. Because sadly, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of praise and worship songs there that comes from Satan. And we should stop singing those songs. I can mention to you the churches and the groups that makes those songs. You know, they, their song sounds good and you like them. You hear of Hill songs. You hear of Jesus culture. You hear of, you know, um, what else do they do? Bethel. We should stop singing those songs. Because the churches that produce those songs don't believe the Bible. They don't stand on the word of God. Why would you sing songs of churches who don't stand on the Bible? Right? Why? So we should stop singing those kinds of songs. And when you look at YouTube, you see people praise and worshiping like that. Don't be fooled by that. Because there are many people who do that on, online. You see churches sing, really, you think they sing with all their heart? Yes, yeah, some, probably. But the sad thing is, you cannot tell the difference between praise and worship and a Taylor Swift concert, right? On on a concert, people will do the same. They will raise their hands. They will close their eyes. They will sing with all their heart, with Justin Bieber or, or whoever. Right? It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. You cannot know the difference, by the way, unless you see the hearts when you begin to look at the singers and they sound like Corny or they look like some other band, I have questions about that. Because we need to respect God and we cannot take lightly worship. We cannot take lightly worshiping God. It's not a concert, by the way. Stop thinking that the praise and worship thing is a concert. In fact, I encourage you, worship leaders, I encourage you to open your eyes when you sing songs. You don't have to close your eyes when you sing, especially worship leader. But church, I encourage you to open your eyes when you sing worship. Because here's the thing, praise and worship is not a personal thing. You're not worshiping God there alone. You can do it, do it at home if you like. Do it at home. You worship God, which I really want you to do because this is what we need to do as Christians, to worship him alone in our rooms, you know, wherever we are. Worship God in your car, you know, make sure you open your eyes. But in church, you know, you notice all the verses on praise and worship in the Bible? It's interesting. The way it says, sing to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You notice? The way it's said in the Bible, you are not to sing to God alone. You are also to sing to one another. You got, you got the idea there? You're actually singing to one another and together to God. So basically, when you worship God in church, it's not a personal thing. You're not there worshiping God alone. You have to have that sense that I'm doing this together with my brothers and sisters, and we're, we're here together. We're worshiping God together. And so let's obey the word of God and how we should do praise and worship. Think that when we worship God, we are singing together and with one another. We are as a group worshiping God. We're not, I'm alone worshiping God and you worship God alone, you alone worship God there. I would say that's a concert maybe, but not the biblical way of praise and worship. If you want to worship God alone, this is the church is not the setting for that. Agree? It is your quiet time. And one of the things that I do in my quiet time, and I don't know if all of you learn, know how to play some instruments, but if you know some instrument. One of the things I do my quiet time, and I'm not able to do it consistently, but sometimes I'm able. First thing I do is I bring my guitar, play at least one song. I sing at least one song before I even read the Bible, before I even pray. You know, I sing at least one song. And and I pray that all of you, when you you do your quiet time, add praise and worship in your quiet time. At least one song. Um, And... Because yeah, we we don't just worship God in the church. We worship Him in our private lives. Okay, so so this is the wisdom that has God has given us. And if you if you have questions about why we chose we st- decided not to stop stop singing Hillsong, Jesus Culture, or other kind of groups that we think their teachings is not even even Lakewood Church music as well. We don't sing Lakewood music as well. You know, Joel Austin kind of music. So if you want to know more why, then you can talk to the worship team, to Irwin, to Ann, to myself, and some members, they know. Because there's a kind of teaching in the world today that's against the word of God, and it's, it's just infiltrating church after church after church. And for me as a pastor and many of our leaders, we have to be watchful all the time. We need to be watchful because we might be caught with it. We talk about claiming and claiming. That's something I had to open up a few weeks ago, right? Because some of you you still pray like that. I claim, Lord. I claim a new car. I claim a new job. You don't find that kind of prayer in the Bible. The only thing you need to claim in the Bible are the promises of God because those are promise. But did ever God promise you a new Toyota? What if God will give you a car, right? You claim a Toyota... And Kia comes instead of a Toyota, you're going to be disappointed. (laughs) So, you can only claim something from God if it's clearly, clearly promised in Scripture. But if there's no specific promise from God, then there's no point of claiming because you're just forcing God's hand. You're like, you're becoming God on your own. You're like, you're the God. You're telling God, God, I want this. I want this exactly the way I want this. That's exactly what you're doing when you say, I claim it. That's why this thing came out among the churches. I had doubts about that the first time I heard. I said, How people are saying, I claim this, I claim that. So this is very subtle, by the way. And now we're looking at music and what else? What else is out there? And what else is in our church that we need to begin to readjust? We need to be watchful. Amen. Yeah, because Jesus said that false teachers are wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like the true, real Christian church or Christian leader, but not. Yeah, so let me move on. Uh, one thing I want to congratulate is Elena. Elena made the did a 26-mile run last weekend, so that was good. Uh, I, I just want to mention that. <laughs> By the way, our life group, our young adult life group, they meet every week now. So I, that's something that is unique of all the life groups. <laughs> we meet <laughs> weekly, <laughs> every Thursday, in the church. And we also have meals now every, every, every week as well. So if you don't have any life group, I do encourage you to come to the young adult Life group, Even if you're not a young adult, uh, you're 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 okay. You're gonna feel young. <laughs> you feel young. Uh, also, I want to mention is that I I didn't put the prayer for uh, for Saturday on our on our program. So so by the way, our church we have a prayer. We call it a prayer chain. But don't be fooled. It's not like the prayer chain you see on Facebook. Okay, I don't want to use the word prayer chain. But anyway. Prayer change for us is simply people are taking time slots throughout the week, or throughout the day on Saturdays, to pray for our service every Sunday, and the, I think the the first time on that day people pray at five in the morning. I think who is five in the morning? Who prays at five in the morning? Ning? Yeah, okay. I I pray at five five fifteen, and I'm guilty because when I wake up at five fifteen, I do pray, but it comes five thirty. I sleep again. <laughs> I should wake up already at the point. Yeah, and who's? What's the last time? I think the last one who prays around six, right? Uh, oh, five, five in the evening, in the afternoon. Okay. So there's still slots available. Uh, so I haven't put the prayer on the. Uh, it's not on the program, but but it's posted on Facebook. I, it's actually uh, uh, called it note, Facebook note. So just check our church Facebook page. I'm going to post tomorrow again for the prayer for next, for next Saturday. Um, and it's almost the same prayer week to week, but we're going to adjust a little bit. Uh, specifically, we would like to pray for this Saturday. We're going to have our bowling event. And hopefully it's a chance for us to witness during that bowling event. Okay? So pray, we want to pray for that as well on our, on our time, uh, time with God. So let me finish my message that I started last week, which is God's purpose, the church. Carlo, can you check the clicker if it's uh, if the clicker is there? Okay. Yeah. God's purpose, the church, and and this is really a continuation a continuation of our message on God's purpose. We started four weeks ago, and and we would like to. I, there's still some things I probably not able to share today, but but at least will be done today on hold it on this topic. Um, you know, God did not only come. Let me just go back to our first, very first message on this. On when it comes to purpose, God did. God, Jesus Christ did not only come to save us from the penalty of sin. He didn't only save us from the power of sin. But we know in the future, he's going to save us from the presence of sin. Amen? Jesus, When, when Jesus returns, he's going to give us a new body, a glorified body that does not, does not sin anymore. That's why we will not have any kind of sin in our lives. We'll be free from sin. But in the meantime, while on earth... You know, we are being saved from the power of sin. Meaning day by day, we begin, we learn to overcome sin as Christians. But there's one thing that God also wants to do with us. He wants to partner with us. We learned about partnership. And, and, and basically what God wants is for us to be involved with what he is doing. To participate in his purpose. In the eternal work that God is doing. And, and we've seen this modeled in the life of Jesus. You know, this passage uh, is, uh, is interesting because there were some questions raised in this passage when we, uh, during the week. You know, this is what we find in Jesus. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own. God, or Jesus, can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father is doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Jesus is saying, I cannot do anything on my own except what I see the Father is doing, and I, I basically join him or do what he w- wants me to do. You know, this week during our young adult uh, meeting, one of our young adults asked this question. It was Pat who, who actually asked the question. And she said that uh, if Jesus is God himself, why, does, why, why was he very much dependent on the Father? You know, think of Jesus. We know Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. But dependence of others. In fact, he says here, this is a strange statement, knowing that Jesus is God. He says, I can do nothing on my own. That's interesting, right? Given Jesus is Son of God, that, that was an interesting question that was asked. I don't know if you asked that question yourself. In fact, we can go, go even farther. Why did Jesus pray? Why did Jesus pray? And. And the, the answer for this, the answer to this is, is very clear. It's found in Philippians 2, 6, 6 to 9, 6 to 8. Let's just 2 up to 6 to 8. And this is really what Jesus did. That's why he was very much dependent on the Father, because this is what this passage says. This is what Paul says. Who, though, who, though he was the form of God, meaning he, was, he had the nature of God, he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, grasped um, we can uh, we can translate that is that he didn't count equality with God. He did not take advantage of his being a deity. In fact, in King James, it uses the word robbery. He said it was not it's 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 not uh, robbery for Jesus, and I'm going to explain that why. But the Bible and it tells us, Paul tells us, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So basically what, God, what Jesus did, he emptied himself of any advantage of being God and live fully as a human being. Because why? Why do you think Jesus did this? Because he had to faithfully represent humanity. He had to represent you. In fact, in Hebrews 4.15, we are told that Jesus is our high priest. By the way, the word priest means representative. Representative. He is our representative who is an uh, he. For we do not have a high priest, this is what it says in Hebrews, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus is able to sympathize with your struggle, by the way. He's able to sympathize with all the pain and all the struggle you're going through. Because Jesus became a human being. From, From being God, he became a human being. In fact, this passage even tells us in Hebrews that he was tempted in every way, yet he is without sin. He is without sin. And and also, not only that Jesus has to represent us accurately on the cross, the Bible also tells us that he was our model. He was our model. Uh, This is found in 1 Corinthians 11. I don't think I have the verse there. Paul tells us that we are to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Imagine, we are commanded as Christians to imitate Jesus Christ. Now, here's the situation. Here's the thing, if Jesus took advantage of his deity, of his godhood, it'll be unfair for Jesus to tell us to copy his life, right? It'll be unfair for Jesus to tell us, hey, uh, Rowlin, I want you to imitate my life. You're going to say, why, how can I imitate your, your life, Jesus? You are the son of God, how on earth can I do that? But here's the reality: Jesus became a real human being, and he struggled, his struggles were real. Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was there, you know, praying, it was a real struggle for Jesus, just like anyone who's going to go through a difficult situation. Jesus had a real struggle. He was not play acting. He didn't the drama. See, Jesus done, or drama? I don't know. There's another word for that. By the way, the Filipino definition for drama and the English definition of drama is different. <laughs> I found that out. <laughs> it's a different definition here in the US. Because in the Philippines, when you say drama, it's acting, right? What, what, what's the definition of drama here? <laughs> it's different. I know it's different. So Jesus was not play acting, he was not pretending. It was a real struggle, and it will be a hypocrisy for Jesus to to struggle where where in reality he is not, right? So Jesus was really struggling. In fact, the context of this passage tells you exactly what I'm talking about. Just read the verse prior to this, verse 2 and 3 to 5. This is what Paul was talking about in this passage. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, meaning as you relate with other Christians. This is talking about how you relate in the church with other Christians. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We've been talking about this all the time that as you mature as a Christian Christian you're not anymore just looking up you're not just looking to yourself and your family you're not just praying all the time about your own problem in your family problem you're now beginning as you mature you're now beginning to look at the interests of other believers that becomes more and more a significant concern in your Christian life and this is what Paul's telling us as Christians we need to begin to be concerned with the church With other believers. And he says here for this, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the kind of mindset that God wants for us. That we need to become others oriented as Christians. So that through the church, oh sorry, it's another verse. And you notice that verse 5 connects to verse 6 in that same passage. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality of God but God a thing to be grasped. You notice, Jesus is an example of humility, a model that we need to follow. He is, the, he is our model. And what is humility? Okay. So this leads us to our message, which we've been talking about. That as a mature believer, as a mature believer, you need to be concerned with the interests of others the needs of the church. Not just of your own needs or your family. I'm not saying to ignore your own need and your own family's needs. But in fact, this is what the passage says. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. That's a very high expectation. Right? Can you do that? Can you count others more significant than yourself? Can we do that as Christians? Because this is what God wants us to do. Let each of you not only look at his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And maybe that's the reason why many of us Christians, we've been Christians for a long time, but we're not growing because we haven't come to this point. We haven't come to this point. We have to come to this point. That you're willing to sacrifice your time, your resources, a lot of things in your life for the sake of someone else. For the sake of someone else. I know you have some things you need to do with your son, with your daughter, with your wife, with your. Yes, that's important. Don't ignore that, by the way. But consider also the needs of others beyond just your own needs. In fact, uh, the church is a very significant part in the life of a believer. You know. God's eternal purpose, as I said in the title of this message, is really the church. It's really the church. When we talk about the purpose of God, what is this big purpose of God from the beginning of time to the end of time? It is, by the way, the church. This is not our church, not just our church, but I'm talking about the church as a whole. Every believer in Jesus Christ that ever existed, this is huge. This is big. The church is very significant. The Bible tells us that the church is a race, by the way. By the way, there's only one human race. I know some people, they try to tell you that there's, there's this Asian race or black American race, uh, uh, you know, African American race or, or Caucasian races. That's not true, by the way. Did you know that there's only one race? It's called the human race. There's only one race. It's just the human race. But there's another race that God created, and that is us believers. Because that's what the Bible says tells us that we are a race, a holy nation, by the way, a nation that belongs to God. In fact, in Ephesians 3:10, we are told that Jesus, or the church, is very significant in the eyes of God. It's amazing in the sight of God. It's described as this: so that through the church. The manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authority in the heavenly places. God calls the church God's manifold wisdom. It is like at the pinnacle of God's creation order in this world today. If you're going to ask, what is the greatest thing that God created in this world? If you're going to ask God, God, what is the best, greatest thing that you ever created in this world? What is your best, best idea, God? in this world, in this universe, it was, it's the creation of the church. It is the creation of the church. That is God's best idea. And I'm not talking about a false church. I'm talking about the, the church that is true, the true church. It's, by the way, the true church is invisible. It does not have a building, by the way. Some people think the church is a building far from the truth. That's why you stop calling this building a church because this is not the church. This is just a building. In any cathedral, we should not be calling those things churches because it's, it's not telling the truth. The church are people that have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, and that is the church. You are the church, right? You are the church. And, and Ephesians 1, 9 to 10, I don't know if I have it here, but okay, so it's there. And in God's ultimate plan at the end of time, he says that I'm going to unite all things under Christ. This is what this passage is saying, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things under Christ. Things in heaven and things of earth. Now, you, want to, you, want to ask, you might be asking, Pastor Al, you know, I cannot believe that the church is really God's eternal purpose. It seems to be basic or not doesn't show. If this is really God's best idea, I don't, I don't see it. This passage tells you what it is. It helps, explains this to, explains to you, because in the end of time, God's purpose is to unite all things under Jesus Christ. That's God's ultimate plan at the end of time. And what's amazing is, it's already happening now. How? Through, through the church. God's end game and Time plan is already beginning. It's ongoing, in fact. And we're part of this as a church. God is uniting us already under Jesus. It's not the entire universe yet. It's not the entire world yet. But but it's beginning now through us. This is a future plan. But now it's happening. Part of it. We're going towards the direction. and And now you become... Part of the body of Christ, this body of believers who is under Jesus Christ, when you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And this body of believers is more than just river life, by the way. It's everyone, in everyone, every believer. I'm not talking about every human being, but every believer in Jesus. Every genuine, born again believer in Christ. Even if you're here today, but you have not surrendered your life to Christ. You are not part of the church. You're still outside of the church. You're still outside. And so Jesus told us in this passage in, uh, in John chapter 5 that how do we accomplish the purpose of God? How do we accomplish the purpose of God? First, we need to see. Then we need to join or do what God is telling us. We had this question, uh, I think this was last week. So how do I need, uh, what do I need to do to perceive what God is doing or what Christ is doing how do i what do i need to do to perceive the second question we had is what do i need to do to participate so there were two things that we wanted to know how do i know god's purpose and how do i join into God, doing god's purpose i gave you this illustration i hope you'll be able to see it it's on your it's on your notes as well so let me so that I can see. So uh, there are six things there that's listed, and there's there's grace. Oh, glasses is broken. Yeah, there's grace, walk, fruit, gift, serve, and impact. So I want you to. I, I just put words there so that you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to uh, memorize this easily. Uh, grace, walk, fruit, gift, serve, and impact. So, we talked about the first half already last week. So, so, let me just do a recap because some of you were not here last week. So, I, I just wanted to do, go back to that a bit. So, grace. Grace talks about your salvation. Your salvation. The, the Bible tells us that you are saved by the grace of God through faith by grace through faith, and salvation is a gift that you receive from God. That's why you notice grace is basically a gift from God. Your salvation is a gift from God, and it is the Father who works that out on your behalf. It is the work of the Father. Who choo- he he's the one who chooses you. He is the one who predestined you. We talk about that. So sal- it's salvation through, the f- through our faith in-, in Jesus Christ, and it is a gift of God, and, and so that's-, that's grace. And... and- And why is this important when it comes to the purpose of God? If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot accomplish God's purpose. Basically, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have a purpose in this world. There's no purpose. Even though you might think you have. Because here's the problem. If you think you have a purpose in this world and you work out that purpose, but if you were without Christ, in the end, you're still going to head to hell you know, what, what, what good is that, right? At the end of your life, you'll, you'll be lost forever. That's why the greater purpose is really, is really found in Jesus Christ. And the next thing you'll find in this, in this list is, uh, is walking. Walking. And walking talks about walking in the spirit. You know, imitating the life of Jesus Christ. And you notice that when it comes to walking, it's a command. The first one is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Walking is a command. It's something that you need to do. It's something you need to do. And in fact, you find this all over the Bible. It talks about carrying your cross, offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, Romans 12.1. You're also told to be slaves of righteousness, Romans 6.19. And the disciples' cross, we, we, tra- we, we draw- drew this last week. There was a drawing last week. And, and it talks about your basic responsibility as a follower of Christ. You know, when you think about following Jesus, if Jesus was walking and he had footprints on the ground like that, you know, if Jesus was walking like that, what does it it mean to follow Christ? Basically, you just step on his footprints as well. Just follow where he's going, whatever he's doing. If he stands, you stand as well. If he walks, you walk as well. So basically, when you think of following Christ, you are walking in his footsteps, And so, how does it translate to your real life? You know, Jesus prayed. He prayed a lot. He prayed constantly. So, when you say walking with Jesus, walking the Spirit, you need to pray. Pray constantly the way Jesus prayed. You know, the Bible also tells us that Jesus knew the Word of God by heart. Did you know that almost everything that Jesus said was a quote from the Old Testament? Even the seven last words on the cross, those were quotes from the Old Testament. When he was tempted by Satan, he fought Satan with the word of God. Pretty much everything that Jesus said has, something, has, has some or its origins in the, in the revealed word of God in the Old Testament. You know, pretty much everything that he preached, taught, and said. There's, there's uh, some origins in the Old Testament. So, Jesus knew the word of God by heart. So, same thing with us. If, if we are to walk the way Jesus walked then we need to know the Word of God by heart. And, and, and if you want to know the Word of God by heart, are you willing to spend time every day to know His Word? Because you cannot know the Word of God by just reading one day, two days, three days, and not read it for the rest of your life. Because the Word of God is so deep, you need to spend time with it every day. Every day. or In fact, day and night. So if you just like Jesus he knew the word of God by heart we should know the word of God by heart. Jesus loved his disciples. He cared for his disciples. He fellowshiped with his disciples. He nurtured his disciples. We are to do the same. We are to nurture one another, encourage one another. You know, you understand this, I hope. We've been doing discipleship uh, training in this church. We have our life groups. This is exactly what we're doing because Jesus did the very thing. We're walking in his footsteps, right? Another thing, Jesus preached the good news to lost people. So same way for us, we ought to do the same. Share our faith with those who are lost. And you notice also, whenever on those circles, you know each of this, you know who is in charge of it. The first one is the father. The second is son. You notice that if you look at serve there, The Son is involved. You notice that whenever the Son is involved, we are involved as well. Because the rest, it's all the work of God or Father or the Holy Spirit. Walang involvement halos atin on our part. But you notice, where are we involved whenever Jesus is involved? Because Jesus is our head and we are the body of Christ. When Jesus is doing something, we ought to be doing something as well. Because we're just following our head, our leader, right? Jesus Christ. The next one is fruit. What is fruit? Fruit is, is, is the fruit of the Spirit. It is basically the transformation of your character into Christ-likeness, meaning that is the result. That is what is accomplished when you walk with Christ. So When I begin to walk with Jesus every day, my character changes. My mindset changes. My, my priorities changes. A, a lot of things in me change. Um, um, the things that God is burdened with, I become burdened with. The, the things that God is zealous for, I become zealous. Meaning, the things that's important to God becomes important to me. That is the fruit of the spirit. Not only that, that God uh, changes your character; you become like Christ. This is a passage that we probably memorized already. Hopefully, you memorize this. That we become loving. We become joyful, peaceful in our heart. We become, become gentle, disciplined, um, patient, kind, good. You know, this is, these, are the character, uh, these are the things that you find in the life of Jesus, the character of Christ. Of course, this is summed up in one word, which is love. And, and so as you, as you grow in Christ, it's like there's war there. <laughs> As you grow in Christ, he makes you into this tree with deep, deep roots and very strong tree with strong branches and strong and, and healthy leaves, so that whenever you know, whenever storms comes into your life, whenever the fiery darts of Satan hits you, you're gonna remain standing. You're Gonna remain standing. And this tree, first tree, is summed up in this one verse. Uh, two verse. This is two two verses. So, so there, these are the verses that support this diagram, okay? So the Christian, you notice that grace, walk, and fruit refers to your personal life with Christ. It is your Christian walk with Christ, personal relationship in, in a sense. And this is what is said in Colossians 2, 6 to 7. This is exactly those three circles. Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ, talking about grace, so walk in him. Walk in him. Then as you walk in him, you are being rooted and built up in him, established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in in thanksgiving. So you see that we are to surrender life to Christ by grace through faith, walk in him, then be rooted and built up in him, you know, bearing fruit in him. Then so once, once you go to this phase in your Christian life, what we can say is that at the end of that, since now you are, you are now having the heart of God, having the mind of Christ, having the character of Christ, God is able to use you for his purpose and his kingdom. Because you know his mind already. You're able to see what he is doing. The next step is you're able to participate in what he's doing. You know what's amazing about this uh, this way that Jesus trains Christian. It's not like your training in school or in workplace. You know, a lot of your trainings in in, in in workplace or anywhere else, it's usually information, right? They give you information and you, you're given you're given a list of things to do. And, and you basically just follow what you need to do. There's there's some specs, there's some guidelines, there's some policies that you need to do. But what's amazing about how Jesus or how God changes changes us and and allows us to do his will. It's not a mental or visual thing. What he does is he changes our lives from the inside out. He changes our entire personality. He changes our personality so that your entire person lives and breathes his purpose. You're not just following anymore. I said this last time. You're not just following a list or a to-do list or a guideline or a policy or whatever. He's going to change you as a person. Like, Like whenever I preach here. I'm going to admit, I, I, I haven't really spent a lot of time preparing my message. Usually, I just prepare this Saturday night or sometimes Sunday morning. And, and But the reason why I have so much to share, because this is things, these are things I've been thinking almost every moment. Whether I write it down or not, whether I make a sermon or not, it's, it's what's in my mind all the time. Whether I'm taking a bath, I think about this. And, and so, I can just speak from my heart. Although I have my notes because my English is bad sometimes, and I have to pronounce it. Sometimes, you know, I re- listen to YouTube and I see how the word is pronounced because I, I cannot pronounce the word correctly sometimes. So I have a note sometimes that there's uh, sometimes I would put the phonetics here on my notes <laughs> to remind me, oh, okay, this is how I should pronounce, Galilee. Okay, Galilee. Okay. So, so I have to do that. But But the point is Or what's my point? <laughs> God changes you from the inside out. He changes you as a person. And lastly, which is the last three points there, grace. Uh, now we talk about grace, walk, and fruit. We are also talking about we're going to talk about gift, serve, and impact. You know what's amazing about? Uh, I know some of you probably went to Israel already. John, you went to Israel, right? Already. I wish I can go there one, one of these days, um, if God willing. You know, it's amazing that the Sea of Galilee, I mentioned this last time, it's amazing that the Sea of Galilee is a very accurate picture of this, of this thing, of this very thing I'm talking to you about. You know, the Sea of Galilee is full of life. It's alive. People fish there, you know, for centuries and centuries. It's a very uh, alive and active sea. Um, they're still, I believe they're still fishing there right now, Right? Think about that 2,000 years during the time of Jesus. Peter was already fishing on that sea there. And it's amazing that the way the Sea, the sea of Galilee is being filled with water is through this downstream. There's water coming from upstream on the Jordan River. And it feeds into the, into the Sea of Galilee. While on the other side, there's this part of the sea, sea of Galilee where the water goes out downstream. So the water basically on the sea is running. It's a running water. Because it's coming, there's, there's water from upstream. And there's water coming from down, uh, going out downstream. And, and that makes the river alive. And the, the sea, by the way, the sea alive. The first three there, grace, walk, and fruit, it's that stream of water that comes into your life from Christ. It's the, it's the water that feeds towards the Sea of Galilee. Your salvation, your walk with Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, your fellowship, your time in the word, your time in prayer, your witness. It is feeding you. It's causing you to grow as a Christian. The second part, which is the church, this is where you give out. The water that goes downstream. You're giving, giving uh, uh, serving the Lord. Giving your life for others. You're giving life for others. And, and let me tell you, you know, I, I never experienced this level in my Christian life. The joy that I have right now, the the completeness, the the fulfillment I have right now, not until I started serving as a pastor. I've been a Christian for a long time, but there's a different level of Christianity that I'm experiencing now compared to any kind of Christian experience I had in the past. Very different, like very different, significantly different. Like the verses that I read, I can I can just recall verses from all over the Bible. Like mm, I can connect this to that verse without even looking at, at. Although I don't remember where it's found, okay. There's Google and there's there's uh, there's commentaries. I can search the actual verse, but but I know the, the verses were what the verses other verses are saying, and I can just relate it back to a verse that I found. And, and Even these two verses here, they just came out as I was working with this. Wow. Oh, this verse, where is this verse found? But it's, it was already in my mind. It's just amazing how God works. And I can say that in your life, once you begin serving the Lord and giving your life to others, even though you have, you have lots of problems, because sometimes we wait for God to remove all the problems before we can serve Him and give our life for others. Let me tell you, it will never happen. Never happen. That day will not come. Please don't wait for the moment where your life is good before you give your life for others. Because it's not going Did you know that this past week, half of my week was just, like this week, half of my week was just caring for my wife. I didn't have time to work on my sermon. I had to go to the, to the pharmacy at 12 last night just to pick up the medications. And, and, and the previous week, Anne was in the hospital for almost almost a week or so. And so if I'm just going to wait for the time when my life is peaceful and everything, I would not be able to do anything. I will, I will be on a standstill. And there will be no sermon on a Sunday. But what I found out in the midst of all your struggle, this is where God wants to use you. In fact, the more you have problems in life, I think that's really the best time to serve the Lord. Because that's where the power of God is going to really manifest himself, itself. And I thank you for your prayers. Those who are praying for Saturday, during the Saturday, it really, I can sense the impact in our worship, in our message, in everything that we do. Yeah. So what is the gift of the Spirit? Let's. Oh, by the way, the last three there is this verse. And it is the passage you just read earlier in 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6. Now, there are varieties of gifts by the same Spirit. So talking about the gifts there. And there are varieties of service, talking about ministries and the same by the same Lord by the same Lord you notice the first one it says there who gives the gifts the Holy Spirit who who gives the service who, who does the service Jesus Christ and in the last one sir uh, last one there there are varieties of activities a different translation that is translated as working or effects or impact but it is the same God who empowers them uh, them all in everyone you notice? The Trinity is at work in this whole thing. They have different roles. Gifting, gift of the Spirit comes from the Holy Spirit. Ministry comes from Jesus Christ. The effect of your ministry, the impact of your ministry comes from God the Father. It's just amazing. So what are spiritual gifts? The simplest definition of spiritual gift is simply abilities of the Holy Spirit. These are the abilities of the Holy Spirit. What can the Holy Spirit do in himself? Without even your help, without even human beings involved. What are the things the Holy Spirit does? That is what the Holy Spirit, uh, that that is where the whole gifts of the Spirit comes. And these abilities, since we have the Spirit of God, these abilities manifest in our lives, are being disclosed in our lives. They become obvious. And spiritual gifts are not Natural talents, by the way. They're not natural talents. It, when you talk about gifts, we talk about the gift of the Spirit. It's a manifestation, an ability of the Spirit in the believers, in a believer's life for the common good, meaning for the good of the church as a whole. And these are not natural talents. In fact, sometimes natural talents can hinder the work of God. Yeah, it can. For instance apostle Paul is a good example here. Paul was not a good speaker. He was not a good orator. He was not a good pre- preacher on a person on, on, on in terms of speech, you know, speech wise. Apollos was known to be an orator. He was he was a good speech person. But I would say Paul was a great preacher, he was a great writer, he was a great teacher. Let me let me correct my initial statement. Paul was not a good orator or speaker. But he was a good preacher, writer, and teacher. Did you know that being a good speaker and being a good preacher are different kinds of things? (laughs) They're not the same. You could be a bad speaker, but be a great preacher. You can. Uh, Because people are being converted to Christianity, to the message of Paul. In fact, his, his writings is recorded here. He does, he's accomplished amazing things for God. Oh, sorry. He, he's accomplished amazing things for God. So so don't be impressed with preachers who have a very good booming voice and they speak really very low. <laughs> don't, don't be impressed with those people because it doesn't mar- It doesn't tell you whether there's a spirit of God at work there or not. It doesn't, it's not an indicator whether the person is a good speaker or he's really like, wow, he speaks really well. That's not really... The basis. Let me give you a passage here. Think, think about the Apostle Paul. He is one of the most powerful Christians that ever lived. But think, think of what people, look at what people think of him. Now concerning, uh, oh sorry, I got the wrong passage. Where is that, Jim? I didn't put it there. Sorry. It's Second Corinthians 10.10. 10. says here, in 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, oh yeah. Listen to what people say. For some say, his letters are weighty and forceful. But in person, he is unimpressive, unimpressive. His speaking amounts to nothing. Oh, wow. That's what people think of the Apostle Paul. Now, for me, this is encouraging. <laughs> and I hope this is encouraging for you as well. Right, Clay? Amen Yeah This is very encouraging for me A great Christian like Apostle Paul And this is what people think of him It's amazing Spiritual gifts are not natural talents They show up after you become a believer And by the way singing is not not listed as a spiritual gift I'm sorry (laughs) Singing and and playing the keyboards is not listed there as well. Even good public speaking is not a gift as well. It's not a spiritual gift. It could be a natural talent or you could learn from school but it's not a spiritual it's not listed as a gift. So let me just give you a listing of the gifts. Can you give can you go to that listing Jimmy? Uh the we don't have time to look at all the scripture but the spiritual gifts is all if you want to see a listing of the spiritual gifts in the bible it's found in ephesians uh um yeah ephesians 4:11 uh, romans 12 and romans 12 and uh corinthians 12 which is our passage for today so those are the three places That you find a listing of the spiritual gifts. And by the way, the Bible doesn't give us a complete list. That's not a complete list. It just gives you, Paul just wrote these things down just to show us an example. But these are the gifts you find in Scripture. And you notice the gifts, there's the gift of prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation or encouragement, giving, leadership, administration, mercy, wisdom, tongues, interpretation, by the way, tongues, languages, uh, interpretation of tongues, uh, apostles. Helps evangelist, pastor, celibacy. Do you like that gift? Celibacy? Yeah. Knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, discernment, hospitality. I like that gift. I like those who are having the gift of hospitality. Missionary intercession. How about martyrdom? It's listed as a gift as well. I took this from Peter Wagner's book. He had a listing of the spiritual gifts there based on those three, those verses. But there's one thing I want... We don't have time to look into this in detail today because this is going to be, take us longer. Uh, but one th- there are two things I want to show you about the spiritual gifts. Or oh, three, by the way. The first one is this thing involves the heart. It's an inner thing. It involves the heart. Prophecy, service, teaching, it's the heart. It's a heart of teaching. It's a heart of prophecy, heart of service, heart of hospitality, the heart of a pastor. You know, it involves the heart. Secondly, the gifts is for the common good. It's not for self-encouragement. It is not for self-edification. In fact, Paul discourages people in the New Testament to use the gifts for self-purposes. Its main purpose, we read it already, it is for common good, for the common good. In, in Corinthians uh, 12. And... For instance, my preaching. If I'm going to preach to myself alone, it's not going to do me any good. The purpose of my preaching is for the common good. It's for your benefit, for your benefit, and for the benefit of the church, not not my, not just not me. I don't, I don't preach just for, for my benefit. I benefit from this, but but it's not for my own benefit. The third thing you'll also find in these gifts is that, it, it let's go, let's go to uh, the passage in. In Corinthians 12. Let me read to you that, that passage you just read earlier so that you'll, you'll see what, starting in verse 1 and up to verse 7. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, verse 1, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking in the spirit of God, says Jesus is a curse. No one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's one evidence of a true believer in Christ. You are able to say Jesus is Lord with all your heart, if you only have the Spirit in your heart. Now, there are varieties of gifts by the same Spirit. There are varieties of service by the same Lord. There are varieties of activities by the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It is for everyone. It is for the church. For no one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Another the utterance of knowledge according to the Spirit. So we see wisdom there, Knowledge. On our listing, um, another, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing, talks about miracles, prophecies, uh, able to distinguish between spirits, talking about discernment, another, various kinds of tongues, uh, this is speaking another language. So another, the interpretation of this language. And and these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. It is, the third thing you need to know is it is the spirit who determines what kind of gift you have. Spirit. So even though the spirit determines what kind of gift you have, you can actually pray for a gift. You can ask God, Lord, I want this specific gift. I remember a long time ago. I did ask God, Lord, I want the gift of prophecy, Lord God. I want to be able to preach. I want the gift of prophecy. That's what I asked from God. And by the way, prophecy is not just talking about the future. I know some of you might think, whoa, Al is able to look at the future. No. The word prophecy is simply preaching. Simply preaching the word of God. And if God asks me to speak about something in the future, then I will do that. But that's one specific thing. But in general, when you think about the word prophecy, being able to prophesy, it's simply Preaching the Word of God. Uh, And and I want to show you everything I said. It's found in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 to 3. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 to 3. We're almost done. I know I'm over time. Uh, Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially, uh, especially that you may prophesy. You notice that? Even in that passage, we are told to desire Spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, meaning you are encouraged to also ask, even though God is going to give you, uh, is going to give whatever he desires through the Holy Spirit, but you are encouraged to desire certain gifts, especially preaching. That's what Paul is saying. For one who speaks in a tongue uh, speaks to men, uh, not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Verse 3. And next week I'm going to talk about Uh, Speaking in tongues a little bit. And I'm going to explain to you why we don't practice that in our church. Uh, And there's a reason for that. Uh, Number three. On the the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people, listen to this, for their upbuilding encouragement and consolation. Meaning the purpose of prophecy, why do you prophesy? To strengthen people's faith. You prophesy to build up people's faith. You prophesy to bring encouragement to people. And to comfort them, bring consolation. So you notice when you prophesy, you build people's faith, you're talking to talking to a person's spirit and mind. When you encourage, you're talking to people to a person's heart. And consolation, comfort, make a person feel better. I hope my sermon makes you feel better. It speaks to the soul, it speaks to your emotion. But going back to that list. Jimmy, can you go back to that uh, list? Oh, sorry, here. Yeah. Going for that to, back to that list. Okay, That's, uh, we're fighting. <laughs> okay, going back to that list. You notice every Christian, by the way, can do each of this. John, are you hospitable? Yeah. Sometimes. Most of the time. I'm sometimes also. Some of you, uh, you know how to encourage. Some of you are able to pray for the person who is sick and you get well. I don't think celibacy is true for many of you. I hope not. Uh, uh, I hope for, not for our singles. I hope they'll find a partner one of these days. Uh, some of you may be. <laughs> um, not all of us are, are martyrs, maybe. Not all of us are going to face death uh, for the sake of Christ. But most of this is something every believer can do. You, you are able to intercede. You can do missionary work. You can discern. You can, do, you can pray for miracles. Heal the sick through prayer, you know, knowledge, wisdom. You can preach as well, by the way. So what is then the spiritual gift? The reason why we can do all this is because we have the Spirit of God. Because these are abilities that's already in the Spirit of God who is in you. But the difference with the gifts of the Spirit, you've seen the definition One of this will manifest strongly in certain people for the common good of the church. Meaning all of you can preach, but maybe only one person can preach here every Sunday and do these kinds of sermon. That's why in churches there's either one, two, or three pastors. But not everyone is a pastor. Not everyone is able to cook cook for us every Sunday because they have a different gift there. Not everyone is able to teach the kids. I cannot teach the kids. I'm going to have a hard time there. (laughs) So so you see, we have different gifts and and different manifestations. And this is for the common good of the church. So each of you, you have different gifts. And that's something we're going to talk about more. And we're going to pray, God, Lord, make this clear to us. There's, There's a way we can do this. And... For instance, for me, let me just give you some example. For instance, as a pastor, I could, by the way, I'm not a pastor by, my ministry is actually being an overseer. That's really the ministry of my ministry. I'm an elder, an overseer. The gift are this. I believe my gift is prophecy, teaching, and pastor. The pastor, by the way, is also a gift. It's not a position or an, an office. It's a gift. By the way, you, you husbands here are pastors also. You're pastoring, you're shepherding your own family, right? The husband, the, the, the males who are families. You're pastors of your own family. So you also have the gift of being a, you, you have the ability. But the role of a pastor in the church is, is slightly different. So basically I'm an overseer, but my gift probably is prophecy, teaching, and being a pastor, or wisdom as well. Maybe for you who are working with a, with with the music ministry, your gift probably is exhortation, discernment, and teaching because you teach through your songs. Maybe for those who are ushers or those who are in the kitchen, your gift maybe is hospitality, mercy. You, could, you can have multiple gifts that God will manifest in your life or one or two or even more for the sake of ministry. For the sake of ministry. Because the gifts are the, I would say those are the materials, the raw materials that God will use for you to be able to do ministry, which is your role in the body of Christ. And we are, and you notice, the gift is a gift, by the way. Obviously, it's gift, gift. And it's given by the Holy Spirit. The ministry is a command again. That we are commanded to serve, to give our lives for others. And lastly, we don't have to go through this anymore, because it's. Uh, can you go to the last slide? We don't have time for that. Just last slide. And lastly, the impact, uh, which is uh, just go to the last one, Jimmy. Yeah. And impact talks about the result, the effect of your ministry, and it is the work of God. So for me, I preach here, I speak with all my heart, but how is is it? How is this going to affect, affect your life? It's not. Anymore, my, it's not, I don't have to be concerned too much about it because if I'm going to be concerned about it, I'm going to be maybe sometimes discouraged or sometimes happy. <laughs> it could affect my emotions, right? So I, I just leave God, Lord, Lord, I, you're going to take care of this, Lord God. And so let it be true for you in your ministry as well. If, if, if you're doing something for the Lord, don't worry if the impact is not that much, and also be humble if the impact is significant. Because it is God who brings about the result. Let us pray. Let's pray. Let's all rise up in prayer. And I'm going to ask you to respond to this message today. Encourage you to respond. Because there are... You know... It's not a good thing to just listen to the word of God and, and just put it in your one ear and, you know, get it out on the other ear. This is how I want you to respond to this message. First of all, make a commitment to offer your life to God, to offer your life to serve him. In Romans 12:1, he says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So make that commitment to be a Sea of Galilee, and not be to be a Red Sea, uh, a Dead Sea. You know, a Dead Sea only receives and receives, but don't give out anything, and it remains stagnant. And maybe that's the reason why in your Christian life you are depressed. You know, you have been a Christian for a long time, but you're still depressed. You're not feeling the fullness of joy. You're not feeling the. You're not experiencing the. You know, the the the, the completeness that Jesus promised. The fulfillment that Jesus promised, maybe because you're not giving your life to the work of the Lord. You agree? You agree to this statement? I hope. I hope you consider this. Now make that commitment first of all. Make that commitment. Speak to the Lord, Lord. Lord, I offer my life to you, Lord. I give my life to you for your service, Lord God. Use me, Lord God. Lord, I offer my life to serve others, oh God to serve others in this church if you're committed to this church Lord, I offer my life to serve others in this church, oh God Lord. Lord, even though I have struggles of my own, Lord God I will not let my own struggles and the difficulties I go through Lord God, hinder, oh God, my service oh God, hinder me from from, from doing what you called me to do, Lord So Lord, I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that they will have this heart to surrender their life to you. Lord, we surrender our life to you. Second thing, I encourage you. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, it is when we grieve the Spirit, it hinders us from being used by God. That's why we don't have joy and peace because there are sins in our life that is grieving the Holy Spirit. It could be habitual sin. It could be a sinful attitude. It could be a sinful relationship. Those are hindrances to God's work. It will hinder you. It will hinder your joy. It will hinder God's blessing. It will also hinder the church as a whole. That's why if you are going through a public struggle and sometimes there's sin involved that's public, that's known, I'm going to be honest with this. I have to talk to you. I have to confront with you. And church members will have to confront people. Because it's going, it's going to hurt not just you and your family. It's going to hurt the church. It's going to hurt the entire church. You may think it's small. It's not. It's going to hurt everyone else. And I hope you consider this. If you are in a, you know, in a sinful relationship right now, please, please stop. Please stop. Please change the situation. Because it's going to hurt everyone else. It's going to hurt else. And it's going to even destroy this church if we're not watchful. You don't know how grievous, how, how huge this, this matter is. And if you're in a habitual sin, please come to the Lord. Draw near to Him. Ask for strength because it's going to hurt your ministry. It's going to hinder you from enjoying God and His presence and His power. I don't want the entire church to be destroyed like the Corinthian church. It was corrupted and destroyed because there were members of the church that were doing sin and the leaders didn't do anything about it. That was the situation there. So please don't grieve the Spirit. Stop. Change. If you can change it tonight, tomorrow, change the direction of your life, please. Do something. Ask God. Ask help. I'm here. There are many people in the church. We want our church to grow. We want our church to mature. But if there's something that will grieve the spirit in this church, even one person, it's going to affect the entire church, whether we know it or not, whether it's in secret or not. It's going to affect. Lastly, I want you to walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Make a commitment to come to the Lord each day, to His Word, love Him, and know Him more. Read the Bible. If you cannot know, don't know how to meditate or even, even study the Bible, at least read the Bible every day. Maybe one chapter a day. Memorize some verses. Spend time in prayer while driving pray whenever you can whenever opportunity comes and, and be faithful in fellowship come to church come to the life group be faithful in fellowship and, and, and share your faith as much as you can to anyone you know especially unbelievers and as you continually do this God will transform you Christ will transform your heart you become more like Christ the, the priorities of God becomes your priority the zeal of God becomes your zeal And you will be able to see God's purpose. And it's easy for you to join him. It's easy for you to do what he wants you to do. It will not be as difficult as you think. Because your heart is already changed. Your heart is transformed. Make this commitment to give your heart life fully to God, to serve him, serve others, even if you are struggling. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit because of sin and to walk with Him walk with Him Lord I ask for Your grace upon my brothers and sisters how I know You love them so much Lord You care for them so much that You want us to experience the joy, the fullness of life that You have for us You have promised us life to the full oh God, life to the full Lord God and Lord, the truth is, we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We have all of the Holy Spirit within us. We have God in us through the Holy Spirit. You have, We have all of you, O oh God. It's not a partial Holy Spirit or a percent of the Holy Spirit. It's the fullness of the Holy Spirit that's in us. And the truth, Lord, is that that's not the concern, Lord. That's not our concern. The problem is, Lord, is that we're not giving our hearts fully to you, Lord. We have your fullness, but we don't. Have, but God doesn't have everything of us. That God does not own every part, every area of our life of our life yet, Lord. I think we're the, that's where the disconnect is, Lord God. I do pray for my brothers and sisters that we will give our hearts fully to you, Lord, to your work, to loving you, and knowing you, and loving one another bless our fellowship, oh God, bless our time oh God, uh, throughout the week, bless our businesses and our school, our uh, jobs oh God, and other, everything that we face during the week, our families, Lord pour out your wisdom, that through this message oh God, we'll be acting in wisdom in knowledge and guidance of your Holy Spirit, Lord God and we will never hesitate for a moment, Lord, to cry out to you, to call upon you whenever we're in a situation, oh God, that's that's difficult, Lord, or challenging, Lord. Lord, I ask you, Lord, that we will have that kind of heart that always talks, communes with you. Lord, bless the rest of our week. May your peace reign in our hearts. Oh, God, bless our meal. Thank you for everyone who who with all their heart prepared these things for us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, may you be praised and glorified in this church. Help us to honor you with every detail of what we do, Lord. Sermon our music, our, our life groups, oh God, our Sunday school, oh God, our ushers, our, our our fellowship team, oh God, every area, Lord, everything we do, Lord, brings praise and glory to you. Thank you, Jesus. All glory and honor be to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord.